Hi, this is Open Source Futures and I'm Eddie Chu, where I discuss current news through the lens of long-term trends and futures thinking. So I'm going to take you through how I use uh, different axes to organize the various trends. And I'm going to talk about the technology stuff that I talked about. So uh, this is kind of a continuation of uh, the technology episode that I talked about. So in that episode, I talked about the various kinds of technologies and also a bit of innovation. Uh, innovation systems, but now I'm going to take you through how I might use uh, general patterns in technology and structure them into uh, the, the predetermined trends and the uncertainties that I used in the previous episodes. So with technology, it's often about the structure of adoption and the concentration of industry players. So uh, one, of, one of the things we ask is, will adoption be a long and draggy and problematic uh, and possibly even abandoned, or would there be industrial standards and successful integration with existing industries? So we care about the concentration of industry players because it affects the structure of the industry and how technology develops. So when an industry has many small players, it usually means that there are a whole range of approaches that are being experimented on, and often there is a great number of choice for people to choose. For instance, I still remember the era of browsers that there used to be a whole range of browsers to choose from before things got narrowed to a few. And it's also the same thing for social networks. There used to be a whole range of social networks, Friendster and MySpace being the two most prominent ones that got outcompeted by Facebook. And Google obviously wasn't the first search engine, and there were things such as AltaVista and others that have died out along the way. So there are these kinds of competitive dynamics that are going on as well. So you can compare this with cars as well, and a similar thing happened. There was a time when there were a lot more car makers than present. Then um, changes in the global market forced car makers to consolidate. And now with electric vehicles, we're going to see the same pattern playing out, that there will be many electric vehicle makers, and then there will be a process of consolidation, and then we'll be left, be, uh, and then we'll be left with a few. And at the same time, there are a whole range of countries that are trying to compete in this, and there will be different approaches and different innovation to car making, and it's still a, an unsettled question for now how that might look like. We saw in the aerospace industry as well how a similar thing happened. So in the US, there were many more defense companies making fighter jets and aeroplanes, and now there's really just a handful. Uh, so it's something like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, um, uh, Northrop Grumman, and BAE Systems, or something like that. And it's similar in Europe, where it's basically just as Airbus and, uh, and BAE again. Yeah, so, uh, and that's all, of course. Uh, so there's uh, so similar trends of uh, many companies competing and in consolidation as the market matures. And it's also very possible that technologies uh, development pathways get abandoned or just fail to become mainstream. And there's a lot of uncertainty with this. So right now we are seeing this with foldable phones, right? So Samsung and Xiaomi are the two very brave companies, I think, but it doesn't look like that they will be mainstream or it might just take a few more years. So I personally have got no desire to have a affordable phone right now, but you might think differently. Um, I'm very happy with the current phone and keyboard format. Uh, if I re really need to type stuff on, if not, I'll just go back to using the laptop. So, there are, so you can see the affordable phone is really a kind of experiment. Um, and you can see that before the iPhone came along, there was also a great profusion of phone designs. But then the uh, iPhone-based slate, glass slate design kind of won over, and then uh, what we're left with is the current uh, glass slate today. So, um, so it is possible that technologies do get abandoned, even if they look promising. 
Um, uh, and I think another example you can think of is you can think of the, uh, oh sorry, uh, uh, another example of something that has uh, kind of gone on and off. So maybe it's not totally abandoned, but uh, I'm not sure I've seen it as much. So do you remember the Nintendo Wii? The Nintendo Wii, right? So it was supposed to create greater engagement, uh, bring more tactile senses uh, to your gaming experience with, in console sets. So it, I think every company had, had, a, had a tactile thing and it was very popular at a point in time, but I think, uh, I'm not sure I'm seeing that with the new generation of consoles. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe there are new kinds of interfaces that I haven't seen or just haven't noticed or they really do have such options, but the Nintendo Wii really was, uh, I think for me, uh, a high point in terms of experimentation with gaming, uh, gaming interfaces. So it's, it's not easy to tell when something is truly abandoned and maybe with that gaming consoles, uh, maybe those kinds of interactivity stuff has not been entirely abandoned. Um, so the example I want to bring up today uh, is the neural nets, right? So neural nets and deep learning were almost abandoned by a majority of AI researchers and Jeff Hinton was one of the, uh, the few minority uh, who plug, continued to keep plugging on and it's only until his students um, uh, this Alex Krzyzewski, he made AlexNet, uh, with, of course, Lee Feifei contributing with ImageNet, the uh, collection of images meant to serve as a reference benchmark. So until you really had that, um, I think neural nets might have taken even longer to surface as a possible option in artificial intelligence. But once you, once the technologies come together in, in, that, in that moment, and Andrew and contributed as well as describing how GPUs could be used for training purposes, then I think you really had this massive, massive breakthrough in AI and uh, deep learning. And neural nets are the uh, option, is, are the main is the main technological option that we have today for developing AI systems. So, um, but it's, it's, it might be a dominant technology now, but there might be other options and other trajectories that are coming up that we don't see yet. So uh, that's something to think about as well. Um, when we think that, when we say that something is being abandoned, it might not be truly be abandoned and that it might just be waiting for a confluence of other technologies as well. So, um, yeah, so extended reality technologies are currently an interesting space. It feels that they are on the brink of a breakthrough moment, but it's hard to tell again. But already Google Glasses and HoloLens are in specific industrial applications. And uh, you could say that Pokemon Go was the kind of uh, success of extended reality product. But on its own, um, as, a, as, as, as it meant to be a replacement for the iPhone, uh, for smartphones, uh, that moment has not come yet. But perhaps the moment might come soon. Again, it's very hard to tell, and there are many more examples, uh, and just a few more, I think. Driverless cars, driverless cars, I think I mentioned this before. Uh, driverless cars uh, were kind of uh, validated in 2004 in the DARPA Grand Challenge, and it's 2021 now, and we have not had driverless cars. Oh, but then again, we kind of have it. Uh, we have a lane, lane monitoring, we have obstacle detection, we have various other things, but they're not quite adding up to the driverless platform yet. So as to the status of driverless cars, it's in a, you could call it like a Schrodinger cat kind of situation where do you have vehicles that are that autonomous but not allowed to be certified as autonomous. Um, so yeah, we, 
I'm not sure when the day when we will see truly autonomous cars yet, so that's an interesting question to look at. And if you talk to historians of science, they'll tell you uh, Quirtin and Dvorak would be another classic example. Um, how so? It's it's a lesson of how ecosystems create lock-ins that create very that create huge uh, cost for uh, manufacturers and consumers to change preferences. Uh, I think this ecosystem network effect is something you see with social networks and why Facebook is so dominant, um, and especially in the way it has bought Instagram and WhatsApp as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so it's really hard to tell when technologies are truly mature and when an abandoned technology might be uh, on the up again. Um, so we have uh, an, just another example, nuclear fusion. The physics are, is kind of well understood. We know it well enough that we can make bombs of arbitrary power. But what has been really difficult has been to, the control of magnetic fields for sustaining fusion reactions in a controlled fashion. So we are still awaiting fundamental breakthroughs in material science and in radiation materials, radiation resistant materials. So we still need breakthroughs in uh, room temperature superconductivity to reduce the electricity transmission losses, but also to create materials that can sustain very powerful magnetic fields to control the plasma required for fusion. And the second is uh, we, still, we still need breakthroughs in radiation-resistant alloys, so metal mixtures that can maintain structural integrity even as they undergo uh, very high radiation flux in the fusion process. So we're still figuring out both. We have things that can do both now, uh, but we're still waiting for good options, good for options that we can manufacture at scale and at low cost. Um, and then we still need better simulations of plasma behavior at those uh, millions of degrees Celsius. So um, like I said again, it's been more than 60 years since we detonated the first hydrogen bomb. And uh, it's now going to the 2020s and 2030s when we have the biggest uh, fusion experiment going on in France. So that's, they used to be called the International Thermonuclear Energy Reactor, something like that. Um, but it's now just called ITER, I-T-E-R, ITER. Uh, and, and, after it, and, it, and after that, there's supposed to be another fusion reactor that's supposed to show how a commercial reactor might work. Um, and it's only in the past uh, 15 years or so that there's really been a range of uh, companies and scientists trying to develop alternative fusion uh, approaches. So things like spherical to Carmax and various other stuff. So um, I'm, I'm listing out all these examples just to show you that uh, it's not a straightforward task to figure out who wins and how the few shapes out in the end. And I think this is why scenario processes uh, can be helpful in this way. They tell you, they give you a roadmap for what you could do if there are indeed these technical and scientific breakthroughs, and they tell you uh, what happens if they still don't occur within your specific uh, specified time frame. So I think when it comes to looking at technology, I think you really have to go through a kind of a portfolio approach to see uh, what are the various options, uh, how how is the field going to develop, and what you can do from there. Uh, so. Don't bet on singular strands of technology, but bet on a few bunch. And, and just let the experiments keep on accreting uh, until you get uh, a, a really genuine breakthrough. So that, see, that is, to me, my learning point when it comes to looking at technology. And again, just to go back, 
um, looking at the, the corporate structure, looking at how the industry is maturing, um, and where are the opportunities of innovation? Those things are very interesting questions to ask as well. So um, I guess just one more point of application as we head towards um, uh, the decarbonization economy. So again, you know, I might put it in environment, I might put it in technology, but again, it's up to you. But I, I just wanted to talk about it here because it does seem that we are on a path that uh, technologies will be geared towards addressing the decarbonization question. So uh, I think to me, it's, um, it's a matter of time before renewable energies uh, become widely deployed across the world. And then you have the next race, right? The next race about better versions of the wind turbines and better versions of the solar panels that we have today. And again, um, uh, and again with industries as well, there will be this kind of a Cambrian moment, a Cambrian moment where we see uh, all kinds of innovations about how to use hydrogen in, in factories, uh, how to use hydrogen in, um, in steel production, in cement production, and how we're how we going to get carbon capture as well. So from, from the perspective of what we're looking at here, looking at through the lens of, um, of whether these things might take off or not, uh, looking at uh, which, which technology paths might be dead ends or which paths might be viable paths. So again, I think a portfolio approach has much to commend for it. Uh, you could uh, look at a range of companies and look at a range of technologies and to see which ones might work. Um, and as usual, again, that, that's where I think the scenarios approach is uh, so helpful. Then you have uh, a way to see, a way to classify the kinds of technology, technological options that you're looking at and the kinds of outcomes you're looking at. So I think that helps you to prevent a tunnel vision and premature commitments and uh, see if you can have the patient capital to wait out. Uh, I know not all, not everybody can do this, but if you can do this, good for you. But if you can't, then I hope at least I have given you a framework to think about uh, whether those technologies or those companies might succeed or not. Yep. All right. So um, that's all I have for this. So this has been about the technology axis and how I think about uh, arranging them in ways that make it amenable for a scenario analysis. So I hope you find it useful and uh, see you around next time. So as usual, again, if you would like to contribute to this podcast, uh, to this whole project about understanding futures, so it's uh, you can contribute at patreon.com slash opensourcefutures, opensourcefutures, that's one word. And uh, another way you could uh, contribute is through buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash opsourcefutures. So that's opsourcefutures. Thank you and see you next time. Mm -hmm.